Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RCVS podcast. I'm Anna Feeney, a member of the communications team at the RCVS, and today I'm talking to Rachel Wright, this year's recipient of the RCVS International Award. In 2005, she founded the Tree of Life for Animals, or TOLFA, an animal hospital in the rabies capital of the world, Rajasthan in India. She's overseen its growth so that now on any given day, the hospital can be treating anywhere from three to 400 animals. Thank you so much for joining us, Rachel, and congratulations. Thank you very much, Anna. So can you please give us a bit of background about Tolfa? So what actually prompted you to set up this charity and in that area? Yeah, so it was back in 2001, actually. Um, I was in, in the middle of a, a big travel around the world, and I was in Sri Lanka, and actually just sitting on a beach minding my own business. <laughs> and there was a stray dog that came up to me on the beach that was in a very bad condition. I mean, fully emaciated and looking like she was about to keel over and die. Anyway, with the nursing skills that I had, I did an examination of her to try and work out what was wrong. And actually the only thing that was wrong with her that was that she had a stick across the roof of her mouth Ooh. that was stopping her from eating. And I was able to pull it out and as soon, as soon as that had been done she started eating, putting on weight. And every day that we were on that beach she would bring another dog with <laughs> her. Yeah, And they all had different problems. One had a thing, a paw problem, one an ear problem, and just with kind of me and my little first aid kit, I was able to make a difference for those few dogs that were there. So a little bit later I started to think, okay, this is just me and my little first aid kit. What could be done if there was a hospital and veterinary doctors and a veterinary staff, a real kind of difference could be made to the animals in a community like the one in Sri Lanka. So fast forward four years, I'd, I decided in 2001 that it was going to be the 4th of October 2005 that I opened our hospital on World <laughs> Animal Day. Oh, and good. yeah, it got to 2004 and it's like, oh my goodness, how, how, is, <laughs> how is this ever going to happen? I thought it was initially going to be in Africa, but I'd been on lots of trips there, it wasn't working out. But anyway, in the summer of 2004, I, for lots of different personal reasons, I just booked a ticket to India and I don't think I was really kind of prepared for what I saw when I got there, but I'd um, organised a volunteer at another animal rescue centre in, um, in Jaipur. And anyway, somebody said to me, okay, if this is what you're thinking to do, just go to Ajmer and see what's going on there. This is the place in central Rajasthan. And when I got there, somebody showed me a picture of the municipality's stray dog control. And basically they were catching the dogs um, and they were tying them to a wooden post in the middle of the desert for a time and just leaving them out there to basically starve or die of thirst. So this obviously was abhorrent to me and I decided there and then that this was where I was um, going to set up the charity. So in the first stages we didn't have a premises obviously, but it was the coming up of a, a big festival where um, 
this kind of thing particularly went on. So I went to the municipality and just said, please just give me a premises. Any premises will do, whether it's a high wall where the dogs can't escape. <laughs> yeah, I will organise mm. to catch all the dogs in this particular area of pilgrimage. I understand it's a public health risk for you. And we will sterilise and vaccinate those dogs and we'll keep them while this pilgrimage is going on and only release them after this has happened. So amazingly, they said yes. <laughs> and so I was quickly on the phone to, to a few of my friends, said, please come over, we need help sterilising, vaccinating the dogs. And that's what we did. And then that progressed into us buying a land and establishing the proper hospital. Wow, and so it really steamrolled after you got yeah, the first. Yeah, yeah. Once, once I was put on that path of where I was supposed to be, yeah, it just went ahead. Yeah, I mean, you you originally trained as a veterinary nurse in the UK. I mean, how do you yeah. feel like those skills helped you face all these kind of unprecedented challenges? Yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit about yeah. our projects first, and then I can kind Absolutely. of t tie yeah. in how, how they helped a bit. So basically, Tolfa has four projects. We have our rescue project, which is where members of the local community, if they see a sick or injured straight stray or street animal, they call our helpline number, we send our ambulance, we go and pick up that animal. If it's um, kind of quite a mild problem that they, they have, we will give treatment on the spot. If it's a more serious problem, then we'll bring them to the hospital where, we'll, where they're assessed by our doctor. We'll give veterinary treatment or surgery, whichever is necessary for however long they need to be with us. And then when they're fine, we release them back to exactly the same spot from where they were rescued from. Um, we also have what is called, in India, rather than sterilization, they call it ABC, Animal Birth Control Program. Oh, yeah, rabies eradication program. So, Although all the dogs that are collected through our rescue project are also sterilised, we also have a team that is specifically just catching dogs um, for this project. They come to us usually for three days. We catch them the night before. They have sterilisation the next day. Then the vaccination, their post-op care, and then as soon as they're fine for release, then again we release them back to the same place. Um, I should just point out that, yeah, India does have the highest um, rate of people contracting rabies of anywhere in the world, and it definitely plays a part in how people perceive the dogs in the community. Yeah, but they're a real threat to their own safety. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and th there's a fear cycle that goes on. Um, people don't want the dogs near them, so they do things like throw stones at them or kind of aggressively shoo them away. This then makes the dogs more aggressive and more okay. likely to bite and kind of this cycle perpetuates. So it's a little bit about breaking, breaking that cycle, um, which leads us on to our education project. So we go into schools and we teach children how to avoid being bitten by a dog and unfortunately if they do happen to be bitten by a dog we teach them how to not get rabies what 
kind of care they need to do to make sure that they don't get rabies. And we also teach about the five freedoms mm-hmm. um, and general animal welfare. We've also started to teach teachers how to teach our animal welfare programme as well, so that if we can't get around enough children, there's also teachers that know um, how to teach the programme as well. So we've taught 300 teachers so 300? Yep. So it's really about own prevention as well as yeah. treatment of yeah. animals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then our last project is rural animal health. So for the villages um, around Tolfa, we provi- provide um, free or heavily subsidised, depending on the kind of um, how how good the, the level of need yeah is for that particular person for mostly goats really mm. that's the animal that we see most if if somebody is owning a cow or a buffalo they tend to be richer and, and can afford vet fees whereas a lot of the um, goat owners are really subsistence farmers and really living on, on the poverty line mm. where actually the impact of one animal's health care yeah. can have so much more yeah, yeah. a big knock-on effect on the family Mm. Yeah, I mean, we hear quite a lot about the challenges of setting up a charity even within the UK. Uh, so, I mean, how did you find it moving to an entirely new country and setting up a charity there? Um, yeah, it was yeah. Very, very daunting and a lot of people, obviously my family, um, thought I was a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, I think the perception of the people, I mean, one of the challenges was actually the Indian population where we were why is a a young female English girl leaving her her very easy life Mm. in the UK probably quite well paid to come and work in India with straight straight animals which are kind of seen as Mm. why (laughs) why would you do that so there was kind of yeah (laughs) a lot of suspicion as to why I was doing that and there must be something there must be some business or something you're doing behind side this to make money it can't just be about the the stray animal so that's taken um, a little while to banish how how people perceived what we were trying to do and that's just been through seeing our work on a daily basis oh actually yeah that is what she wants to do and what she's trying to do um, I would say the weather is a big challenge because you there's three very distinct climates in India. It can be freezing cold, which people don't realise, but we are a desert. So mm. in winter, it can go down to minus. In the summer, it go, can go up to 50 degrees. 50 degrees. Yeah. And in the monsoon, in kind of half a day, you can be four feet under water. So that gives you the challenges of things like kennel design. How do you have a kennel that will work in all those three seasons? And just actually physically working in those conditions is, especially the heat, is very challenging. And each particular season brings their own disease. the diseases in themselves were a challenge because we saw lots of diseases that I 
as a veterinary nurse in the UK, wasn't used to seeing different tropical diseases like Babesia. And also a lot of the diseases that we take for granted in this country because of vaccination. So we see a lot of distemper. Mm. We see a lot of um, canine infectious hepatitis. And we just don't see these diseases in this country because we vaccinate our dogs against them. Mm. And vaccination is still um, not a common thing against these diseases there. <coughs> There's also um, the challenges with staff because with the veterinary doctors, they don't see being a veterinary surgeon as a wonderful thing. Mostly yeah. they're failed doctors. So when they look at the grading system, if you get the highest grades, you become a doctor. If you get the next set of grades, you become a dentist. If you get the next set of grades, then you become a vet. So most vets are seen as failed doctors so not a great there isn't the cues no there yeah. isn't the kudos that there is about being mm. a veterinary surgeon in this country so we've had vets that they're not kind of really enamored that they're a vet it's just been a job but slowly slowly we've taught them that it is a really good profession and there is a lot to be gained um, from what they what they do and I think we've really kind of inspired and empowered a lot of our uh, vets to be the best that they can. Um, there's also the problem with the doctors that nearly every doctor that qualifies wants to be a government vet because that's where they see um, their best opportunities work-wise. Um, best salary, best um, pension, etc, etc. So we've had the problem of training up all these vets to how we yeah. want them and then suddenly there'll be a mass government recruitment and they'll all, disappear. Di all disappear off, off for that. So that's quite hard. Um, with the equivalent of veterinary nurses, um, there isn't a veterinary nurse as, as you would class a veterinary nurse in this country. They are what are called livestock assistants, which is a two-year course, but that is purely, as the name suggests, in livestock, so cattle, goats, buffaloes. There isn't any specific um, training that is particularly for dogs or cats. So all the training that we've done in our, what we class as veterinary nurses has all been on the job either by um, one of our vets or by myself. So that's quite a challenge to not have somebody that's kind of ready to go from day one. You're always starting from the bottom and, and working up. Um, I would say there's challenges around the state of how some of the animals come in because they are mostly semi-feral or feral, especially in the beginning. Um, they've obviously been left to fend for themselves and you can see horrific mm. conditions, animals with half their heads missing, four broken legs, maggots crawling out of every orifice. So you see some pretty challenging sights. Um, this was emotionally wearing yeah, as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think there's a, a big wariness for <laughs> compassion fatigue. Um, I think also one of the challenges I find is, it, is particularly in the situation with the cows because um, most of the cow population either they're tied up 24-7, there's no kind of big green fields where cows are grazing. If they're not tied up then they're left on the streets all day so there's nothing for them to eat there so they're all eating plastic and getting in impaction because of um, plastic in their stomachs or they're getting into road accidents. All of them are pretty much malnourished so there's some real um, problems that you, you see with the cows and I think what we're doing for the cows is really just sticking a band-aid over mm. a, a much bigger bigger problem. Um, so yeah, a few, so few, few few challenges <laughs> to me. Yeah, I mean, how many people did you, did you know before you moved there? Was it a lot of it a, no, kind of on the job? Most, yeah, most of it has mm. been um, learning as as you go along going back to what you were saying about how did my training as a VN in this country kind of prepare me for this kind of work I think that well our rescue project is our biggest project that we have so yeah we can have up to 400 inpatients at any one time and although Obviously, it's the veterinary doctor that prescribes all the medicine and tells the treatment plan. It is our equivalent of veterinary nurses that are doing the treatments every day. So that's three or four hundred animals being treated every day. So being a veterinary nurse has enabled me to, one, train our staff to be able to do that. But on things like our treatment rounds, I know when there's been any subtle changes between the conditions of what that animal was like the day before, what they're like now. And just, I think, trying to run a charity without being a veterinary nurse or a veterinary surgeon is, is quite hard because there's so much that we just know as to what is normal and what is abnormal. I think also that nurses tend to be quite organised, quite mm. methodical, um, I think they preempt a lot of problems, and that those skills are also quite useful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, is that kind of if, when you look back at when you started? Would yeah. that be one of your major bits of advice? The kind of the research and the reliance on your own abilities, or is that? Yeah, and I would also, if I could do it over again, I would say, start smaller. I started too big. I, I wanted to start with these four projects straight away and yeah, save the world. What I should have done is just maybe done one or two projects initially and concentrated on those, grown those up and then add the projects mm -hmm. as we went along. But um, I didn't do that and it was kind of always a, a catch up situation. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that would be what I would say to myself if I could do it again. Mm, yeah, it must be tempting at the time to just see so much need and want to take yeah, on everything. That, and that is it, mm. yeah. And there's kind of been other things that we've done as well that we've had to cut, cut back on. So, no, definitely mm. just 
do what you can initially and just grow grow mm. on that. Yeah, I mean, you must have had so many positive experiences coming out of this though. Do you have a kind of favorite case that you think of when you're struggling? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of shelter animals and each one of those shelter animals is like a little success story in itself. And I think when we've had a really bad day and it, it can seem overwhelming, I can just look at one of those and just think, wow, that's amazing that you even survived. Um, one case in particular that comes to mind, who is now also one of our shelter animals, is called Lily. She came in as one of three puppies, um, all of which were in a terrible condition. Unfortunately, they had had acid poured over them. Um, in an attempt, I guess, to to try and get the dogs away from whoever. Um, and the thing about Lily was when she came in, she was so, so scared and so nervous. Obviously, um, I don't know, just because of her current situation, but absolutely petrified of humans. And it took a long while to to build her trust and allow allow her to even get within kind of two feet of her to treat her, which made obviously treating her quite a challenge. Mm. I should say her, her brother and sister died because of the the um, how serious their their condition was. But slowly, slowly over time, she allowed that trust to build up especially with me she wouldn't let any of our other staff grow up and all her wounds did heal they they were very deep wounds that she had but it looked like there was the possibility that they could heal with time and now if she sees now she will trust a lot more people but if she sees me from kind of across across the the hospital she'll just come running up and say thank you kind of every time I see her and that and that's what we see a lot you can be walking in the town of Pushka or you can be walking in the town of Ajmer and you'll see dogs that you may not even necessarily remember but they remember you they say that the first time that you give any kind of love or compassion to a street dog, they remember that forever, and I would say they do. Um, so, yeah, it's very heartwarming. <laughs> yeah, sounds like you've got such an amazing community of people, but animals as well, if you yeah. feel part of it. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I actually, when I come to this country, I actually kind of miss having animals all yes. around you. I mean, I, I know it's it's not necessarily good for the animals to live on the streets but and there are challenges for the animals there's no doubt otherwise there would be no need for us but I also see some of the happiest dogs that I've seen ever because they're living in packs they're scavenging and yeah they're just doing what dogs want to do mm. all the time so I kind of see a lot more behavioural mm. problems in this country, but obviously a lot more physical problems needing veterinary care there. Yeah.
Yeah, so in terms of that one of five freedoms that they <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. normal behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean it must be incredibly absorbing being in a completely different country and just keeping on top of everything. I mean, yeah. how did it feel to get a letter from the RCBS and <laughs> going, You've won this award? Yeah, quite bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean I can tell you a little bit about <laughs> the, the day that preceded it. So we'd had quite a horrendous day. We were in the middle of um, one of the biggest um, canine hepatitis and distemper outbreaks that we had ever seen in the puppies. So we were just being absolutely overrun with sick puppies. So it had been a very emotionally draining day. And it was actually just before I was going to bed, I was just checking my emails just before I was going to bed. And this email came up saying, you've won the international award. And I was like, I actually just burst into tears because, um, as I say, it had been a really bad day. And it was just like, it was my reward, I think, for seeing it through. Um, I hadn't heard about the international award before. And I did that evening, I did a little bit of reading around it. And I think to be awarded by the governing body of your profession is a really big thing. Um, so, yeah, I was obviously thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> no, it so. really is, but it sounds like it's been incredibly well-deserved. And just thank you for all the work that you've done, and congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs>